Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Legal Conversations. Let's welcome A-Team guest, uh, Jared Paul, who's an attorney at Screwman Law, Inc. Jared, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening and a happy new year. Good evening, Patricia, and good evening to the listeners as well, and compliments of the season to you all. Well, we are speaking today about agreements and uh, that of suretyship. So uh, let's start here. What are they? What are suretyship agreements? A, a very tragic, you know, Let's take it down to the simple explanation. Uh, the suretyship agreement involves three parties. There is the creditor, who is the person providing um, the, the credit, um, the principal debtor who engages with the creditor for um, that, that credit facility, and then you get the surety, who essentially undertakes liability towards the creditor for the proper performance of either a portion or the full obligations of the principal debtor should he or she not satisfy those terms of, of performance. Um, and, and under what circumstances would one need to have a suretyship agreement? So we, we see a lot of it being used these days, especially when entering into contracts um, to reduce the amount of risk that a creditor assumes entering into an agreement. So technically, surety agreements can apply to almost anything that you can um, uh, uh, think of. It's just that there has to be a valid principal agreement for which it, it uh, is an accessory to, meaning that there needs to be a valid agreement between the principal debtor and the creditor, and then um, the surety agreement then acts as an accessory to that. So a lot of the times you see it when um, someone is trying to take on a, a debt facility or a credit facility, um, and that then means that the suretyship agreement is then just there as a safeguard to ensure and secure um, the performance uh, of the principal debtor or those obligations to the creditor. Now, there's always a concern around uh, such agreements for people who are married, especially those who are married in community of property. So would the suretyship agreement uh, have to be signed by the spouse of the person who's married in community of property? Or, you know, can, can anyone else sign it? That, that's also very, very true what you're saying is that if someone is or if there is a couple married in community of property, in order for a suretyship agreement to be valid, it needs to be um, reduced to writing and signed by both spouses. And it needs to also be uh, witnessed and signed by two witnesses. The only exception to that rule is if the um, spouse is performing in the ordinary course of business or uh, profession. And then that is the exception to that rule. But if it is that there is an agreement that one spouse is entering into, um, then the other spouse's permission is needed. And like I said, it needs to also be witnessed as well. Yeah. So what should we look out for when we need to sign these suretyship agreements? Are there some hints that you can give us so that we don't end up in a position where we are signing something that is signing our lives away, especially as the person who is going yeah. to be uh, giving their surety to the creditor? Yeah. And and uh, the, the first thing is just to read and to make sure you understand the contract. You know, ignorance is not a defense. Um, and so there's even case law to support that if a surety has signed a, an agreement and bound themselves to the terms of those agreements, it means that his performance has now been locked in. And so what I would, the, the advice I would give is to firstly make sure that you understand what you are signing and to understand that you are going to be held liable 
should it be that the principal debtor um, uh, does not perform. So some things to look out for in your surety agreement is to look out for things like um, uh, a, an amount or a percentage of the debt that you will be liable for in the, in the case of non-performance. For instance, if you've only agreed to a um, specific uh, um, uh, amount to be liable for, um, if it exceeds that, look out for those terms in the contract. If it wants to, if the contract wants to hold you liable as a co-principal debtor, for instance, then you know something alarm bell should be going off. Um, some common clauses that are normally included these days in surety agreements is that um, the surety, firstly, uh, um, excludes certain uh, rights that they would normally have, such as the benefit of division and the benefit of um, uh, exclusion, as well as certain other recourses. And so what you want to do is that if you're entering into a surety agreement, it, it can be a very complex document. And I wouldn't suggest someone just sign it because someone else is explaining to you and saying that this is what it means. I would always suggest getting some legal advice because the implications could be very much far-reaching. I can only imagine how far-reaching these implications are. Um, uh, and let me open up the lines to our A-teamers. A-teamers, uh, please do join in on this conversation around suretyship agreements. Have you ever signed one? Are, are you uh, giving surety for anyone's debt, whether it's for a house, a car, uh, a loan? No matter what it is, what is the process like? What was the thought process when you agreed to say, yes, I'll sign surety for you? And uh, how are things going? Share with us on 11 Perhaps you've got questions to ask uh, Jared. You can also do so in 0614-104107. SMSs go to 41391. Jared, now what happens if this person who has signed the surety ship on behalf of um, uh, the, the person who's taken out the credit passes away? So then that would be a very interesting one because there are certain types of um, inclusions that you can have in the surety agreement um, which could hold the uh, surety liable in perpetuity. So it would mean that the, um, there's never really an end point of the liability. And what that would mean is that the liabilities would then carry over to the estate. Um, and so if it is that you find yourself in a situation where the surety has now passed on, essentially what you would then do is that if you are going to claim and you, for instance, uh, ran the race against the, the principal debtor and you're now looking for further recourse, then your next step would then be instituting a claim against the deceased estate of the surety. Okay, and if I have been asked to sign as surety and my spouse says, no, I can't do that, and let's say, for instance, I'm married and coming to a property, does my spouse have a legal right to tell me no, not to do it? Perhaps I want to do it for my sister? Yes, no. So, unfortunately, because, you know, in that situation when you are bound and it is one estate, it would mean that the implication of someone not giving the, um, the, the permission would mean that the, it affects the validity of the surety ship agreement. And so, if the validity of the surety agreement is affected, obviously it means that it would then be um, invalid and unenforceable. So, it's very important that if in a situation of uh, marriage in community of property, you are looking to, uh, for instance, stand surety in an instance like as you, as you described, that you have a discussion with your spouse to try and explain what you are trying to achieve by standing surety for, for instance, a family member or your sister. And that 
but you also have to respect the fact that you're not making this decision for only yourself, that you are going to be binding the, the joint estate to this decision. And so, um, you know, sometimes people can be persuaded if there are certain safeguards included in the um, surety ship, uh, for instance, including stuff like um, the benefit of exclusion, which would essentially mean that the um, creditor is obliged to first claim from the principal debt, and he can't just decide to come after the surety just because the surety ship agreement is there. But other times, you know, people don't, um, they, they aren't convinced by that, and they don't feel comfortable with um, with the added risk of um, entering into a surety agreement where they are unsure of the situation, and that also needs to be respected. Sure. I, I, I don't understand, you know, how we... I, I know we have to be helpful towards each other. And uh, I understand where the, 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 the creditors are coming from. Um, yes, you can afford the debt for now, but we need someone else to also back you. But what I don't understand is the thought process that a person who signs the surety ship agreement goes through. Because they are then inevitably saying, I will take up your debt should you not be able to meet your responsibilities of this debt. And it's for me, I don't understand the thought process because it sounds like something that can be very dangerous to your finances. Mm. No, definitely. And I mean, normally what happens is, is that if you sign a surety and you have to perform as the surety, so for instance, the principal debtor has not performed, the creditor now says, listen, you are sure that you need to perform. You, If you do then, um, for instance, make any payments, then you, or if you satisfy any of those obligations, you then have the right of recourse to claim against the principal debtor. So you'd be able to then claim uh, any losses that you've suffered and incurred or any damages that you've incurred, you'd be able to claim from the principal debtor yourself. And this is why I'm saying that it's always a very good idea to have someone uh, give you objective uh, legal advice when entering into this agreement because the intention is supposed to be there to provide a safety net. Um, and so you have to be very careful of who you're providing a safety net for so that you don't also, by default, just immediately become basically the the, the principal debtor by virtue of your need to perform. Um, and that's a very uh, risky move that you're making. And so you know, normally it's reserved for instances where we see, um, you know, people acting on behalf of or, or adding surety uh, for the company, for instance, um, in which case they are saying that, look, this is a juristic person and I am now a, a an actual person saying that I will stand surety. And then obviously it's very understandable. But if it is where it's involving other persons, you, you need to make sure that you know who you're getting involved with and that you understand what the very terms of, um, of engagement is with the principal uh, agreement because by understanding that you will then understand the, the length and extent of what your possible um, uh, obligations would be should they default. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it is uh, something that's quite tricky. Um, can you can one get themselves out of a surety ship agreement uh, should they uh, not no longer have a good relationship with the person who uh, they are giving surety for? So this would all depend on the terms of the um, surety ship agreement. Like I said earlier, there are some agreements which essentially uh, they just continue indefinitely. And so it wouldn't be that, for instance, there is a certain time period um, or an, uh, an ability to, um, to, to terminate that before then because, you know, the, the, the uh, surety acts as an accessory, like I said, to the principal agreement, meaning that for as long as the principal agreement is in operation, the surety ship will be there as well. 
Um, and and this makes or this means that um, you know there are certain defenses that you can make use of as a surety to negate your um, obligations as a surety. But the actual termination of the agreement um, it, it, it rests squarely on the performance of the main agreement as well. Sure. All right, so this is clearly something that we need to be very aware of before we getting we get into it, um, because it's one that you can't just uh, get out of uh, willy nilly. <laughs> Once you're in, you're in. Yeah. And the, the creditor is essentially the person that holds all the power because they are the ones that can then say, okay, we are now releasing you from this surety agreement that we are releasing you from these obligations. Um, so you also have to make sure that you, you, you understand the credit that you're getting involved with. Um, and it's, it's, it can be a very complex landscape if you don't know what you're doing. Mm, very true. Well, uh, what are some of the you know, things that we need to know before uh, we let you go? So the one thing would just be to make sure that you understand whether or not you're entering into a surety ship or a guarantee. Um, the main difference between the two is that the surety ship is uh, the the link uh, to the main agreement, where the guarantee is a fully uh, separate agreement from the main principal um, agreement that was entered into. And the guarantee operates when there is a certain event that occurs. Now, why I say you need to be aware of the differences is because the guarantee is normally a more uh, it's a solid a more solid form. Um, of, of liability as compared to a surety agreement. What a lot of people do is that they also include, I know we, we, we like to make that um, suggestion to our clients as well when they are considering using surety ships, is that when someone binds themselves as a surety, you also get them to bind themselves as a co-principal debtor. And that then allows for um, a certain relaxation of certain operations. And so it's also from the other side, looking at it from the other side of the coin, very important to understand what this means if you are getting involved in surety agreements, whether you are simply a surety, whether it is more of a guarantee setup, or whether you are in a position where you are now actually looked at as the co-principal debtor. Um, all of these would then be able to guide you better in you know, what kind of uh, negotiations you would need to try and, and, and enter into to relax the terms of your performance. Um, or the extent of your performance in general. So surety agreement doesn't have to be for the full amount that the principal uh, data um, uh, has been uh, contracted to. It can be for a portion of that. And if you are more than one person that has acted as surety for that principal data, all of the uh, sureties, even though they've got different instruments that have bound them, they all become co-sureties. And so then the, the um, effect of the surety agreement can be spread equally and the liability can be spread equally amongst sureties. So very important to get some um, proper formal legal advice just so you understand the landscape a bit better and the intention of you know, uh, the, the document and what the effects thereof are. So here's a, a question quickly uh, from, well, it's a, it's a comment, and I think maybe you can help with some advice on what this A-teamer can do uh, via WhatsApp. They say, my mother asked her cousin to buy a car for her because she had a low credit score. So my mother was paying under her cousin's name. My mother passed on, and the car was paid up. Now the cousin ran away with the car, claiming it's under her mm. name. What can this mm. A-teamer do? 
So in that instance, what we're looking at is that we're looking at an instance of not more of a surety agreement, mm. but because of the mother who had passed on making all the payments and the aunt um, receiving the possession of the car, you would then be able to consider a um, claim for unjustified enrichment, meaning that you would then be able to say that, look, litigating on behalf of the state, we are saying that we made the payments for this vehicle, that the ownership, however, vested in the aunt and therefore um, by the aunt running away with the vehicle and not transferring it back to, to the mother, um, the aunt has been unjustifiably enriched uh, by the value of the car. And so, you know, you'd be able to then claim that amount in a civil claim against the aunt uh, should you be able to find her. Um, but in the first port of call, obviously, be to make sure that you, you somehow try and crack it down um, and make sure you get either the details of the car for the purposes of that civil claim. Um, it's normally that courts like to see as much detail about the description of the car as possible. And also just obviously make sure that you have a record of all the payments that your mother made to be able to prove that what you are saying is actually factually correct. All right, so this will need uh, legal assistance. Uh, Jared, how do our A-teamers who have questions, or even in this particular instance, who want assistance, um, get in touch with the Schumann Law Incorporated? So we offer free 10-minute consultations just to see if our firm is actually the right fit for you and to make sure that you understand the terms of how we um, uh, uh, operate in the scope and area of which, with, in which you operate legally. Um, and so for that, you can either get hold of us on our contact number, which is 021-425-5604. Alternatively, you can also send an email through to inquiries at skumanlaw.co.za or simply just Google us, Skuman Law Inc., uh, and we would be able to be able to get our details there to get hold of us as well. Simple as that. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Jared. Have a great evening. Thank you, Patricia, and thank you as well.